0: Hello my name is Kayla and my name is Jackie and this is season two of living two or more a podcast where we interview people who are biracial and multiracial
1: their stories are beautifully complex and unique we were honored to receive them and so excited to share them with you thanks for listening and enjoy living two or more in this episode we have a conversation with Sprout Chen Sprout is a queer Portland-based esthetician and makeup artist She is passionate about advocacy work, including domestic violence awareness, racial equity, and LGBTQ rights. Growing up with many intersecting communities shaped her identity. She looks for opportunities to pair her work with activism as often as possible. In this episode, we talk about ethnic ambiguity and living with a disability, in addition to her love of makeup. Sprout, welcome to the second season of Living Two or More. We're so excited to have you. Um, and we have a opening question to ask. And that is, if you could describe your experience of living two or more racial identities.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited yeah. to be here. Sweet. <laughs> um, I guess my whole life has been about intersectionality in so many ways and race is just one of those ways um and if i could boil it down to the simplest of meanings for myself i i think of it as being born in the situation i was in with multiracial parents that are queer being in um a queer family and growing up queer multiracial, every day is choosing to advocate for myself as a human being um, and all of the different parts of myself that intersect within me. Hmm. And that experience of living is a form of activism in itself. So I would say, in so many ways, choosing to to live as I do and as so many people do in their own lives is a form of activism.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't think you can live without being an, an advocate or without being an activist. It's just not an option.
0: Mm-hmm
2: for so many people. So for me, my identity is so wrapped up in all of the policies that, you know, lawmakers are are creating and stuff like that. So when when people are saying, you know, I don't really care about politics or I don't really I'm not I'm not that kind of person, It always has baffled me from when I was a very young person, um, because I never understood how that couldn't affect you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I guess I said this was in the simplest of terms. It was not. I mean, uh, we're here. We're here for complexity. You're good. Um, I I see my identity as as activism in a way because. Mm. Living is advocating for yourself, or choosing to advocate for yourself every day. Surviving is mm-hmm. is advocating. Mm-hmm. At least that's what my therapist says. You know, <laughs> <laughs> lately. <laughs> yeah, I mean to
1: live to live as you are, as you truly, truly are, is is a liberating act. And liberation flies in the face of oppression and hate and Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, If it's okay with you, can you tell us a little bit about your origin story um, and what it kind of looked like for you growing up?
2: Yeah, of course. So I am 23. I'm turning 24 this month. (gasps) So. Um, so I was born to, uh, same sex parents. One of them is Chinese. Uh, I have two moms. I am donor conceived. So I have, uh, a sperm donor. My parents are still together. They've been married three times now, uh, mm. because they kept getting married legally and then it would no longer Ugh. be legal. So then they would have to go through the whole thing again. Uh, um, okay. so I've been to two of their weddings, uh, uh because I was alive twice. Oh, well, I was was alive when two of the weddings were (laughs) legal. (laughs) The most recent one was, you know, the last one Mm -hmm. um, in 2014 when it was legalized in Oregon. Um, So I remember their first wedding that I was alive for when I was five. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was really exciting because – Oh my gosh, my parents are going to be married, like all my classmates. Um, Mm. And then it was kind of a rush. They pulled me out of school because it was not, it was a loophole in Multnomah County. From what I remember, I was Mm -hmm. five, I could be wrong. Um, And then a measure got passed that made it illegal again. Mm. And I remember my mom. after the vote happened, you know, came out to me and and I said, you know, is it still legal? Are you guys still married? And she said, no, but it's really close and it's going to happen again soon. Mm -hmm. And after that, they got their wedding certificate sent back to them in the mail, um, with a big denied uh, stamp Mm, on it and $42, uh, (sighs) refund for their, um, wedding license. wow. Um, so early on we like I went to pride every year. Um, mm-hmm. Chinese New Year was a big celebration in my family. We went to lots of protests. Um, very like socially active family. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 18, I did the ancestry.com mm-hmm. like DNA mm-hmm. test. Mm-hmm. Um, to find out a little bit more about my donor side because it's my Chinese side is the side that comes from the donor. One of my moms is Chinese and they wanted genetically to match as much as possible.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: So they got a Chinese donor. Um, And from that, I was able to find out that I have roughly 25 siblings, half siblings. 25. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, Wow. From my, from my donor. Wow, um, a couple of them I was able to meet actually. Wow. Uh, so I, I'm in contact with one of my half sisters and we actually went to the cryo bank where, um, our sperm donor donated and everything where we were frozen. Uh-huh. Um, and we met. The manager there and talked to him, and we got to listen to a recording of the voice of our donor during his interview and stuff like that. um, So we've met, and I've talked, I think I've met either over the phone or in person five of my sibling, half siblings. Um, So that has been in the last probably five years really interesting. That's crazy. Um, My parents had another child my younger sibling who is non-binary um with a different donor and an egg donor as well so we're not genetically related but we're siblings Mm -hmm. and we grew up together Mm -hmm. um and that's been that's my family makeup the four of us Mm -hmm. um and yeah it was a very normal upbringing I didn't notice that there was anything different about my family until Mm -hmm. I started going to school and people started pointing out differences in my family um, Mm -hmm. at school. There's the white side of my family and the Asian side of my family. We don't see the white side of my family very often anymore. um, Due to some part of it is distance. They're on the other side of the country and the Asian Mm -hmm. side is, here in Oregon, Uh, and then there's also always been some tension surrounding Mm -hmm. race, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's been an extremely average upbringing (laughs) Um, (laughs) internally, like with my family, and it's not been abnormal until, you know, it's been brought up outside. Mm -hmm. Mm Wow. Wow. I
1: feel like I'm sitting so with so much from what you just shared. The thing that's like, there's so many things lingering for me. One of them is like that visual of like a denied stamp on your parents' marriage license. Like, I'm sorry. Like your love is denied. Like just Hmm. how kind of like, just like a tactile that is like Mm -hmm. the holding of that, like, did have you talked to your parents about what that felt like for them,
2: your caregivers? Yeah, so that was a very—I mean, it doesn't get much more like physically, like it can't get more obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It is not recognized. Um, my mom was—I remember being in the car when my mom was interviewed by I don't know if it was OPB or something like that when um, same-sex marriage was on the ballot a few years later and they asked her if it was something along the lines of you know do you think it's going to get passed this time or do you have what are your hopes and she said oh I don't get my hopes up anymore I don't really have any hope for it because it's just not it's just not going to happen anytime in the near future. And mm-hmm. she cited that story of mm-hmm. having it, her marriage certificate be sent back to her mm-hmm. and how dehumanizing that was. Both my parents are in their late, late 50s and grew up um, in like on the East Coast, Virginia or more south of that. Like one of my Mm. moms grew up in um, DC and the other one grew up in Kentucky. Mm. Um, So it took a long time. I didn't even see my parents hold hands Mm. for a very long time. Um, Their wedding was the first time I saw them kiss. Mm. And Because of that, I thought like any sort of public displays of affection was totally wrong. Mm. Um, Do you guys remember, I think it was back in 2012 or 2013, there were two men walking across the Hawthorne Bridge that got attacked for holding hands.
1: Mm -mm. I don't remember that.
2: Okay. There were two men that were holding hands on the Hawthorne Bridge. They got attacked. And... Mm. Um, after that, there was a protest, um, hands across Hawthorne Mm -hmm. and a bunch of us went and held hands with each other and walked across the Hawthorne bridge in solidarity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember holding hands with one of my friends who was also a girl and thinking, this is really strange. Just the Mm -hmm. feeling of holding someone else's hands and like hand in public Mm -hmm. and seeing my, my parents hold hands and all of our other, Mm. you know, same sex couple friends hold hands. And although it was a very good and positive thing and a positive like motion, every time we went to a protest, every time we were always met with protesters we were always met with hate and i came mm-hmm. to expect that my parents came to expect that my parents taught me from a young age to always expect there to be people there that would be yelling obscenities at you that would attack or or do something like that mm-hmm. and they both had stories from their childhood especially um ann marie who's my chinese mother she has much more stories from her childhood of violence in her childhood from other kids, which Mm -hmm. she talks about pretty casually. Um, Mm -hmm. Just kind of like, oh yeah, this happened in my, like, oh, this happened. And then this happened. And then this, you know, and then this kid Mm -hmm. attacked me and stuff like that of just casual violence. And I say like quotation marks, casual violence, as if it, it was not in something important that happened Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and it was kind of just expected and I think that's imprinted on them pretty Mm. heavily and in turn printed on my younger sibling and I
1: Mm. of
2: like this is something you expect this is Mm -hmm. something you expect when you when you show who you are fully there, there will be violence. There will be, there will be a protest to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. The yeah. holding hands thing, like I feel like I take that for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't when I sit in conversations like this with you, but like I do when I'm holding hands with my partner. You know that mm-hmm. I'm not going to face something like that. Yeah such an important reminder. Yeah, definitely.
0: Um when your uh, parents married then for the second time, did they feel or did you feel any kind of relief like after or has it has there always been and will probably always be maybe a fear of that?
2: Um it was the Oregon Supreme Court that legalized it. So there was um more of a sense of okay it's gonna at least be legal in oregon mm-hmm. um but what if you move to another state you know that's kind of what hangs in the balance of course. we talked uh, it always is in the back of your minds when we're talking about um supreme court nominees for the you know united states supreme court um when there's a new president, um, anything like that, it kind of is in the back of the mind because I'm, I'm queer as well. So it it was a big deal for my parents. It was a big deal for a, a lot of our friends and family, but it was also a big deal for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a relief. I mean. They got married the day it was legalized. We all went down to the courthouse together as a family, and there was so many people there. There were people getting married in in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. And it was the fastest party ever thrown together (laughs) I've ever seen. There was like six wedding cakes in a basement. (laughs) And everybody that got married was just down there partying. Uh, It was amazing. Uh Um, But I just – it's all, like, you know, it's in the back of your mind for the first few years. Mm-hmm. I think, I think within the next couple of years, it'll probably not be in the back of my, like not be in the back of people's minds. But it's kind of amazing to think that, let's see, it was legalized in 2015. So seven years ago, this was something we were fighting for. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and that is something that uh, people still don't want um, but it's not something that I uh, like super stress out about <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm taking it for now <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. totally Absolutely. of yeah. course it's a reminder that progress is possible right definitely yeah. yeah I'm really also curious about like your experience of finding out about and meeting your half siblings and the experience of hearing your donor's voice—like, um, what was that like? And and what also have you noticed about your connections with your with your half siblings
2: um, that surprise you? So, um, the half siblings I've met are wonderful. We all have very different origin stories. Um, One of them has two moms. One of them is a single mom. One of... There's uh, several... Because at the time, um, in the mid and late 90s, most donor-conceived children were conceived for straight couples Hmm. and um they were conceived it was everything was super private Mm -hmm. and it was meant so that the donor would never be contacted again and normally it was kept a secret that you were donor conceived Hmm. um and like from the the child you mean from the child and from everyone okay. else as well. Mm-hmm. So you would get someone that looked like or had the same features or had the same stats as the dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be the replacement. And it just would be a, a secret.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: My donor um, was 19 and he was... I'm guessing paying for college. And that's why he was mm. donating sperm. Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I've heard it's lucrative. It is. It's quite <laughs> lucrative. <laughs> um, <laughs> um,
2: and after you, there are 25 live births, they cut you off. So, and he got cut off pretty quick. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> um, there were a couple of siblings and, our batch that their parents did not want, like had no intention of telling the kid that mm-hmm, they were donor conceived. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when they went on 23andMe or Ancestry.com, my, uh, one of my half sisters contacted them was like, oh my God, we're siblings, what's up? And uh, they're like, no, we're not. oh <laughs> And so that led to – some drama right right now we're all good Uh, (laughs) yeah um actually my mom knew of one of my brothers um before i did didn't know we were related but Mm -hmm. she knew of him because he has a couple of patents in um the uh dementia and um alzheimer's world and Mm he uh, my grandma um, had dementia Alzheimer's and my mom was familiar with his work and she had watched his TED talk and when I found out about him I googled him and I watched his TED talk and I sent it to my mom hey this is my half brother she goes oh I know him I've been following him for years (laughs) (laughs) wow that's crazy that's that's so weird Um, (laughs) but yeah my half-sister, she decided to come and visit me. I was living in California at the time, and we went to the donor place, the cryobank, and um, I think they were very excited to see fully formed humans. I don't know. <laughs> they probably don't see humans very often. Yeah. And we were just like, can we learn more? And oh. that was the weirdest experience of my life. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> We talked to this guy, and he gave us he gave us sperm memorabilia. What
1: sperm memorabilia? What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean?
2: Um, uh oh, I got t-shirts. Um, <laughs> oh, sperm sperm shirts. <laughs> like with so, little swimmers on them. Yeah, all um, right. <laughs> so every year they do a different sperm every, swag every, oh no Sperm swag. every year Nike, they no. do different um themes i'm looking at one now because it's in my laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> um they do a theme and they incorporate the sperm into it and that they sell a bunch of t-shirts at their i don't know whatever their fundraisers and <laughs> so They make a bunch of sperm swag and they, I don't know, but the guy was just so excited to see us that he gave us a bunch of like their last five years of shirts and he was showing and we got magnets. We got, we got pens that lit up and there was a bunch of little sperm. Sperm in the pen, and then they were all floating towards one egg. <laughs> <laughs> they it's were so leaning celebratory. in. Yeah. I love it. Like sperm emoji shirt. <laughs> um, they all these sperms look at different emojis. Of the sperm in the hat uh, wow. got sperm. I probably shouldn't say sperm as much on the podcast sorry oh you can um, absolutely say sperm as many times as i don't you think want. it's been
0: said yet so <laughs> we have
1: as many as we can do really um, um, we've got a but, quota to fill feel, feel at
2: this point <laughs> so it was amazing and he talked to us for probably two hours and went through our donors entire file with us he told us everything that he could about the guy um He actually kind of revealed a bunch of stuff about how they used to label the donors by race and stuff back in the 90s, Hmm. uh, which they used to label Asian donors with a yellow sticker, which was really messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, very not PC back then. We have changed our ways. Right. I'm glad you did (laughs) because that's pretty messed up. Uh Uh-huh. He's like we didn't want to have any mix-ups in the lab. That was the best way we could think of doing it. I was like didn't have numbers or yeah. anything like that. Uh-huh. Um but then he played us a recording of the um donor's interview and um that was pretty that was really cool and mm-hmm. mind you my my sister and I had just met each other that day. Uh-huh. I took her from the airport to wow. the Oh cryobank. wow. Okay. Um and then we were able to write a letter. Uh, each of us were able to write a letter to the donor and see if he wanted to respond and have any contact with us. Um, he did respond, uh, but he did not want to have contact with us. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't take it that hard, but uh, yeah. it was difficult for um, my other mm-hmm. my yeah. sibling. Um, mm-hmm. But... It was, it was a very interesting experience. Um, I look back on it fondly. That's good. Mostly because mm-hmm. I got a lot of stuff. But yeah, also it was cool. I mean, it was kind of cool to see where magic happens. I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what got you here, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. totally. And to do it with
2: my, with my half-sister was such a cool experience. And we talk every day. Um, uh, hmm. I've been so fortunate to meet some of my siblings and we're all within a year and a half of each other so
1: Mm -hmm. that's really special Mm
0: -hmm. pretty
2: wild that's really cool that you have that Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I kind of wanted to talk about I guess like then how when you were growing up did your parents like bring it up was it like oh we're gonna sit you down when you're this age and let you know (laughs) (laughs) Oh, <laughs> how it all happened or was it just organically or naturally or so
2: i was kind of scared to ask because i didn't quite figure it out um uh. i thought my mom knew the man mm. and that they had met and signed an agreement and then mm-hmm. you know yeah uh-huh i later learned that that was not the case so i thought they were I just wanted to know what he looked like. I wanted a picture of him to see if he Mm. looked alike. And I was like, why won't she tell me what he looks like? That's very rude. (laughs) Um, And then I thought, she doesn't know what he looks like like because it was dark (laughs) 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 oh my gosh that's totally
1: something you would think when you were young. yeah Yeah. (laughs) it was was dark and then
2: I knew they had a file with the information about how tall he was and any medical stuff so I had devised a plan when I was in probably fourth grade to find the cabinet that had the file break into it and find any information I needed um, but then the room with that cabinet is very messy and so I was going to ask my mom if she could tell me where it was so that I could go sneaking around um, and my friend was going to distract it. I don't know I'm, I'm very bad at sneaking and I'm very bad at lying so it did not go <laughs> to plan at all and then um, as my punishment they said that we had to talk about it and that I wasn't going to be allowed to see it for a little while. That's the worst mm. punishment. Yeah. Having it. to talk about it <laughs> really bad. Um, and then I'm, they said, like, do you have any questions for us? And then I had to talk mm. while well with my parents. It was just very rough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't ever remember having a moment where I kind of realized, like, one of my parents wasn't biologically related to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I think kind of over time it re-clicked in my head, like, oh my cousins are my cousins, but we're not blood cousins. Mm -hmm. Um especially since I'm so much closer with my non-biological side of my family, the biological side of my family, and I don't click Mm
0: -hmm. so
2: much. Um and I always think like, oh I like I'll see resemblance. I even My younger sibling, who is um, not biologically related to either of my parents or me, um, looks so much like my Caucasian mom. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And my, my mom used to take my younger sibling to get their nails done all the time. Sometimes I would go too. And that was their bonding thing. And I have... Dark hair, dark eyes, and um, like more olive skin. My younger sibling is blonde, blue eyes, fair skin, looks a lot like my mom. And I remember all of us sitting getting our nails done and the nail tech asking, oh, are you the nanny? And me Mm. thinking like, oh, I just... Like, having a moment of, like, oh, I'm not part of the family. Yeah. And I was, like, oh, no, I, no. I'm the sister. <laughs> Cause, oh, wow. um, And it was, just like, a, a very brief moment. But that kind of happened, you know, in, in times when, like, we would go visit the white side of our family because my Asian mom and I both kind of have the same skin tone. We have the same hair. We have the same eyes. And then my younger sibling and my other mom, same hair, same skin tone, same... And my aunts and uncles would make comments about us and not about my other sibling.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Because they're much more fair than I... Even though I'm white passing, they're like more white passing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, uh, I think...
1: I think growing up, I I remember. I feel like it's very vague, but I have a memory of like somebody asking or asking me. Like I was with my mom, who doesn't really look like me mm-hmm. um, so much. If if like I was adopted, um, yeah, right. And it's because they don't. They're not seeing the whole picture, mm-hmm. like they wouldn't they're not seeing my whole family to begin with right but they're also just not like seeing the whole picture of the story so um yeah it's a it's a strange experience for sure Mm -hmm. what's the um we haven't really talked very much about like and I know that there's there's kind of different schools of thought right now around the term white passing there's like a kind of a lot that's in the ether um, that hasn't really landed, I don't think, and maybe won't um, (laughs) for a long time, if ever. Uh, What, like, what would you say about that term, that experience? Like, um, yeah, what would you offer around that topic?
2: I'll first say that I have so much to learn. And, I um. My experience is just my own, right? So I by no means want to say like, you know, this is. Yeah, this mm, totally. I'm not asking you because you're the expert, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, uh, but I just wanna I wanna make that clarification, <laughs> yeah, <right>? Totally, <laughs> of course, of course. I think we all do. None of us yeah. are experts on that. <laughs> yeah. we're
0: all just here to learn. Learning, yeah.
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It's interesting because I I just see myself as having an incredible amount of privilege in every aspect of my life. And then there's moments where I get reminded that I'm like, oh, take a step back, Sprout. Oh, you got knocked down. You got knocked down one rung. Um, and those are the moments where I realize, oh, you're seeing a little bit different,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I—I I think I am like the whitest Asian person in terms of looks, like one of the whitest Asian people you'll ever meet. Um, I don't look very Asian in terms of my features, and I, as a as a person of color, I just—I've I, had—I've had. I've had teachers like white teachers I had a person I had a teacher call like tell me I was not a person of Mm. color and I was Mm. like okay dude (laughs) okay Mr. Peterson Um, (laughs) Mr. Peterson if you are listening to this I do not like you (laughs) Um, but but um, but then I've had moments where um for a long time I worked as a model. That's I moved to California to model. Um I was like my job in high school and out of high school and I would be the only one on set of the models that wasn't blonde and blue-eyed. Hmm. And I've had casting directors and producers and stuff. Tell me just straight out, tell me. Oh yeah. We chose you for this because we needed more brown in our catalog, or we needed our website was looking a little bit blonde, and we mm. needed a brown girl. Mm. <laughs> then why Yikes. did you choose me? Because <laughs> uh, are you seeing me? I'm not very brown. Um, <laughs> I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a. I'm a little bit Asian, and that's about it. Uh, yeah. very, very slightly. Um, you could have. You could have hired like I was like I could I, I can go for white you know but or mm. give me in a mix with some other Asian people but if you're looking for some more representation of mm. models that are not white I would not be my first choice mm. um, and so to have and then I would hear I actually heard one person who was talking about casting the next shoot after they were shooting me and they're like yeah we want someone really pale Um I was like okay I'm I'm right Mm -hmm. here Yeah, Um, I I did uh, my first international job was for wedding dresses and it was me two blonde women, one brunette and me. So yeah, I already said me. Um and they were I think I was a size two, but the rest of them were size zeros. And they are all significantly fairer than me. Um and I remember thinking the entire time I was on the job, like I am I am the one that is not fitting into this picture. Mm-hmm. At the cast like at the casting, they asked me how I got my skin. What? Um, Excuse me. Yeah, they like, said,
1: "How did you get your skin?
2: How I got my skin? Oh my that's god, a okay. new one. Can we just pause? That for a is second? a new one. That, yeah, that takes the win. <laughs>
0: <for> <laughs> that is insane. the like,
1: most strange and ignorant way of asking someone about their ethnic background, right? <laughs> yeah. How
2: How did you get your skin? I said, <laughs> I did. I. That's. They're like what. I have never done a job where I had my makeup done, where the makeup artist didn't ask me what my race was. Mm-hmm. which, yeah. And now as a makeup artist, I have never once asked a person that because I just feel like it always put me in a weird position because the follow-up was always like, Ugh, I'm jealous. I wish I had something interesting in me. Mm. Like, oh. That. yeah Yeah.
1: i gosh that like makes me wow i had like a pretty intense reaction to that Mm -hmm. comment because like what that person's saying is that they don't think that they're interesting what they don't
2: well first is they don't think they're interesting secondly that they that they don't that you're like more interesting or the only interesting
0: thing about you is like that uh, you you're... are from somewhere else like what yeah. excuse me
2: <laughs> or or the other response i would get is "Ooh, how exotic
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: and mm-hmm. that's often like you know that's common but then i'm stuck in a chair with this person <laughs> mm-hmm. for another 45 minutes yeah you know i'm 15 years old or 16 years old and i'm just like Okay, <laughs> Uh huh. I'm exotic. Yes, thank you. Um, so there was a lot of different times. I have always considered myself to be very white looking. I still consider myself to be very white looking. And then I get put in a room with all white people and suddenly I realize, well, like, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. if I'm the only person in this room that isn't white, something's wrong. Um, or if everyone looks at me for an opinion on, you know, what is, what is the correct thing to do here or something like anything along those lines, abort, abort, abort. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something is very Mm -hmm. wrong here. Um, and situations like, like that, when I was modeling, when, um, I I now work at, um, like a spray tanning salon, like I do airbrush tanning, Mm. um, During the summertime when I'm more tan, people would come in and ask me, like, well, what shade are you? Because I want to be the same shade as you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say, I'm not not wearing any tan. This is just my skin. Mm -hmm. And then we get the, how exotic? I wish I had something like that in me. Oh, the Chinese women are always so beautiful. Um, And it's just how do I respond? You know, how do you quite respond to that? Mm-hmm. Um, so while there is no like direct violence, there's no direct violence being thrown at me. And I'm so grateful for that. I still live in a world of immense privilege. There's moments of intense discomfort and intense, um, I don't know if I don't even have the words, but like, yeah. Definitely ignorance um, that are, are still going to be there, even mm-hmm. if you're white passing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is like when people – or what I've come to learn is like people think they're giving you a compliment, but – and if you try to question it, it's like I was saying something nice. And you're like, exactly. well – what you don't, what you seem to have forgotten is that that's not, right. <laughs> it's like, you didn't even think about what you were asking mm-hmm. and how it would infect, affect me or what I, my own lived experience is like. You
2: yeah. Know. What is, what is the meaning behind that comment? Mm-hmm. Or like the mm-hmm. fetish, like when there's a
1: like the fetus
2: fetisci fetishizing fetishizing. I'm trying to think yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um like which comes with like date dating or um I had oh, when I had Tinder downloaded, mm. I would have people like try to guess my race as their opening to mm. like talk to mm. me. Uh, what makes you think that's gonna be a good swipe. Intro?
1: I've never been yeah. on Tinder, yeah. but that seems like a swipe whichever way situation well at least
0: they like got themselves (laughs) out real quick you're like i don't
1: even have to talk to you anymore yay yeah Yeah. it does leave me with like you know because it is nice to receive compliments when you feel like they're coming from someone that you trust um when they feel like when they resonate with you and they actually do make you feel nice it's like this fine line and, like, I'm, I'm imagining maybe people listening right now being like, gosh, how do I ever, like, how do I compliment someone that I think is beautiful without making them feel like I'm othering them?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I don't know. That's just, like, a question I'm sitting with. I don't know if we, we all have answers for that. But, like, I feel like I can feel when there's a compliment or something that's said to me that makes me feel othered. Mm-hmm. And when it feels like it's, like, from human to human.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so Um, many ways to compliment someone without uh being weird. I don't know. Or lack of other (laughs) words. Totally. That's a better way of saying Mm -hmm. it.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's it's a fine line. It's hard stuff. I mean, because it's like it's like uh, difference is a part of what makes us all beautiful, and yet it can also be something that makes us feel so othered to the point that we feel uncomfortable or we feel like we're being mm-hmm. like put in um you know in a box as like exotic or something that because yeah. exotic comes with all kinds of like kind of messed up stuff about yeah. am i an animal of...
2: or a food
1: right mm-hmm. right no. like
2: mm-hmm.
1: no yeah so it's yeah i'm just imagining like people thinking about like, well, what do I, what do I do now? And we don't have answers for you. Um, no. But it's just like a question that I'm, that I notice myself sitting with and feel like it's kind of important to <laughs> put out there. So Sprout, you mentioned that you, so you, you did modeling in LA mm-hmm. and now you're, so can you walk us through like what brings you to now in
2: here? <laughs> like, yeah, where? Oh, like and what, what a journey doing? it's been! I, <laughs> um, I stopped modeling for a couple of reasons. Like, I guess I didn't really. I kind of tampered out. Um, I I gained weight. <laughs> Um, I was no longer a straight sized model, uh mm-hmm. meaning that I was less than a size six. Um and uh I developed a seizure disorder. Um so I can't be around flashing lights, which is pretty mm. important ah. in the modeling definitely. industry. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um so my That'll do it. Yeah, my career was uh Yeah. So uh, but the type of seizures I have, which is the, the seizure disorder I have is, um, is trauma-based. So mm-hmm. I don't have epilepsy. Um, I have, it's a, a type of seizure disorder that is normally formed from people that have, uh, PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I got it shortly after, um, getting into a relationship with someone that became abusive after having another abusive relationship. So my Mm -hmm. theory and my doctor's theories um, are that my body was like abuse, abuse, abuse. And my only um, like my brain's only mechanism to handle it was just like seizures. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But the triggers are flashing lights and other things that are like danger. Um, So that pretty much, Cut modeling out of out of everything, but modeling was never my uh, my my end goal. It was like, mm-hmm. how to pay for school and stuff. Totally. Um, but mm-hmm. I initially had moved down to Los Angeles for for school and for modeling, um, and I stayed down there for four years. Um, I dropped out of college because um, I was in an abusive relationship, and uh, it's hard to study and focus when you're like focusing on keeping everything that's happening to you a secret. (laughs) Um, But I started doing makeup. Um, uh, I started doing the person I was dating at the time was uh, in film school and I did makeup for short films for um, him and his friends. And um, I Who's actually pretty good at it, and I mm-hmm. actually really enjoyed it. Um, it's like one good thing that came out of that relationship. Um, and when I eventually uh, fled the state <laughs> to mm-hmm. get out of to get out of that relationship, um, I kept doing makeup uh, here back home. And um, then the pandemic started, so uh, mm. pause. Uh, mm-hmm. But I went to aesthetic school to get my esthetician's license. Um, and so I got my esthetician's license during the pandemic and, um, that kind of brings me to to now. So I've been back in Portland for, uh, almost three years now. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and since then I've been, um, heavily focused on, uh, activism. Um, I have spoken on a few panels, um, about domestic violence and, um, sexual assault uh which entails like i speak to people who have been convicted of the crime and instead mm. of doing jail time or um concurrent with jail time they are like in um, rehabilitation programs mm, okay. and um mm-hmm. part of the rehabilitation program is like listening to survivors talk about yeah. um their stories of domestic violence. And um, so it's a really amazing program. We don't have it in Multnomah County, um, Mm. but because of the pandemic, we've been able to do it over zoom. So it's been able to reach a lot more people in Oregon um, and maybe Southern Washington. Um, I don't always know when I'm doing the panels, Um, but it's pretty inc- incredible because you're able to talk to and interact with people that are very committed to making serious changes in the way that they treat people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I, I see it as a form of restorative justice in a way. Yeah. And, that's what it sounds mm-hmm. like to um, me, Yeah. Making progress in like what, what could be, um, you know, an alternative to, um, jail and prison for some people, Mm -hmm. which, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a a fan of. Um, and also it's really great for survivors because we're able to share our stories without directly, um, going through the legal system or Mm -hmm. talking to our, like confronting our own abusers. Um, and Mm -hmm. we still get to share our story. And I believe there's a lot of power in sharing your story. Um, Mm -hmm. so I've done, I've done that a few times and it's been incredibly, um, healing and powerful. And, um, I, with my makeup, I have been, um, uh, I do pride shoots, um, June. So I, uh, do makeup and my friend does photography and we set we get a few models that are queer and we do a pride themed shoot, um, collaborative with the models. And, um, this year I'm working on a domestic violence um, prevention one where I'm going to have a few survivors and like the panel, have people share their stories, but without having to like talk to anyone, confront anyone um, and mm-hmm. just have a forum for them to share their stories. And I'm going to be working on um Like I'll be doing makeup and stuff and I'm going to be working on getting some photographers together, getting studio space together to just create a safe space for people to be able to feel confident in their bodies and, um, you know, get some headshots taken or photos taken, whatever they feel comfortable with and, um, and have a forum to share their stories.
1: Mm-hmm. that's amazing that's so Sprout. cool yeah, yeah.
2: so thank inspired <laughs> by that mm-hmm. thank, thank you, you so for yeah, sharing that's yeah, yeah that's what i've been working on lately and what i'm excited about right now
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah, so cool definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah where where would people go to find out more about that about <clears throat> the work you're doing um probably just my instagram i have two i have my personal instagram and my makeup instagram um my personal is Sprout underscore Chin with two N's. So it's C-H-I-N-N. And then my um makeup Instagram is Sprout or makeup by Sprout. Um And that's where all like I have updates on all of the projects I'm working on and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, cool. Links to my website and stuff like that. Contact. Cool. That. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: What Sprout, what do you think? Um. Like, what would you want to share for people listening about how to support um,
2: survivors of domestic violence? Um, yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. There's so much. Um, but there's a lot of different situations you can be in and be supportive. So I would say the main three are if you are someone that is witnessing your friend or someone you love and you think they're being abused, um, to be a support for them, the best way that you can do that, and again, I'm not a professional, but this is everything that I've read and what I can say from my personal experience. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Don't push them out of the relationship. Don't shame them for being in the relationship. That's going to push them further in. The goal of an abuser is to isolate someone from the other people that they love. Um, So do your best to continue to be in their life. Let them know that when they are ready to talk about what they're going through, that they have you. Um, Give them resources so that when they are ready... They can get out or they have the tools to get out. The average um, survivor goes back to their abuser seven times before leaving Mm -hmm. a relationship permanently. Mm -hmm. And when you leave a relationship, an abusive relationship, that's the most dangerous time is during that breakup. Mm -hmm. Um, That's when it's most likely to become like deadly. Um, so pushing some there's so many reasons why someone won't leave an abusive relationship, financial, um, fearing for your life. Um, not like not having a home, not like if I'm thinking about myself, I was in a different state from my family. Um, I just, I, I was having seizures. Like this person was caring for me in many Mm. ways. Mm So it's so nuanced and so difficult you never want to be like that when you're being abused you're so beat down and you're so Mm -hmm. ashamed and you're so like your self-esteem is so low if you're a support and a like a friend of that person don't be a reason that that person feels any worse about themselves mm-hmm. be a light be a like be lifting that person up be reminding them that they have someone to go to and mm-hmm. that you're there to listen and listen without judgment mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: if you know someone that you believe is abusing someone call it out um tell that person it's not okay tell like vocally like vocalize it in front of their partner this is my opinion again it could you can talk to other people so that the partner who is being abused knows that they have an ally and also that they know what's happening to them isn't okay mm-hmm. and also take that person to the side uh, the abuser and say hey like that's not okay. It's not okay to treat people like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And check in with the person who's being abused and say, is there anything I can do to help you? Mm-hmm. Um, I always hesitate to recommend calling authorities just because yeah. um, oftentimes the victim is also brought in to police station, we've all seen the statistic that like 40% right. of police officers are also like contributors mm-hmm. to domestic violence. So I never judge people that call the police to, when they are in danger, like in a domestic violence situation, um, because that's like a choice you have to make. But um, I also am not going to specifically like say to do it just because mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think it's a choice everyone has to make for themselves individually.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Thank you for your wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you okay. for sharing
2: that mm-hmm. with us.
1: I have like one last question. Kayla, I don't know where you're sitting. Um, I would love to hear more about makeup. Oh, that's where I... I was going with it. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, let's hear it. Because I love makeup so much. (laughs) Just why, like, um, yeah, like, why do you love it? And, like, what, um, yeah, what is it? What do you feel like, um, what has it taught you about ways of being? What can it teach us about ways of being?
2: I did not expect to love makeup. I don't even like putting it on myself, but I love putting it on other people. Mm -hmm. I love the way people feel so confident when I am able to chat with them for an hour while I like play with their face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm Totally. I love what makeup can do. I love that it can be so simple. Um, I like my makeup, like my makeup looks, how I normally do makeup is much more natural and much more kind of just bringing out someone's natural features. Um, And my goal as a makeup artist, whether I'm doing someone's wedding makeup or something on set for a film or someone's senior photos, is always to just make them feel as confident as possible. My one rule in the makeup chair is that you can't apologize for anything. Like people always like, oh, I'm so sorry I'm having bad acne right now. But You can't apologize for anything. You can't apologize mm-hmm. for your face. It's who you like. You're showing up as you are. And you can't apologize for that. Um, and so I just love getting like being face to face with someone.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And playing with colors on their face and Mm -hmm. chatting with them I love recommending products I love it's just such a fun experience and when they're done hopefully they are really happy with the you know happy with Mm -hmm. it normally they are (laughs) Um, uh, and they feel confident to go and do their thing and Mm -hmm. even if they could have done that themselves even it's that process of, like, you know, kind of hyping someone up. when, totally. uh, Yeah. Like, totally. I always felt on set that the makeup artist was my, my advocate. If I was, like, mm. I need, you know, I need to get some water or, you mm-hmm. know, makeup artist would be, like, oh, yeah, maybe I need to do a touch-up, wink, wink. um And I kind of see myself in that position when I'm on set. So mm-hmm. I just love being that buffer for the other person. It's so nice to just sit with someone and talk to them about, like, when you talk, when you sit down and have coffee with someone, there's a lot of things you would never talk about. But when you sit down and do someone's makeup, they feel comfortable sharing so much of their life with you. It's like mm-hmm. when you get your hair done, you're like, oh, I'm never going to see yeah. this person again. Yeah. And you just share their life, your life with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing when Intimacy. you do someone's makeup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same yeah. thing.
1: Definitely. Mm-hmm. I love mm. it.
2: Oh, I love that. I love me that. Me too. Like,
1: hyping someone up. Like, because mm-hmm. it's, yeah, like whatever can make us feel like ourselves and like our best, it's like we want all of that light in the world, right? Mm-hmm. For
2: everyone. So. 100%. 100%. Yeah.
1: That's really cool, Sprout. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. thanks, Sprout. <laughs> Thank it's been good. On-
0: yeah. It's honestly been so wonderful talking to you and hearing you for tell sure. your story. Um, yeah yeah no, it's been so real and so nice,
2: yeah thank We're you so super much.
1: grateful for you being here, yeah, thank
2: you, thank you so much for having. I feel like we went on a full journey. There was sperm. <laughs> Oh my wedding. god, it's gonna
1: be like a hashtag. Has- <laughs> a hash of sperm
2: swag. Sperm
0: swag. You might need that. to have a you might have to take a photo with you in a shirt.
2: Yeah, right. hash- I'll send you guys the I went viral on TikTok because I made oh. a TikTok about the sperm swag.
0: No way. Uh, it's
2: my right. only TikTok that got any traction. After that I had to quit cause I knew it was all downhill from there. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I That's kept it at sperm with <laughs> <laughs> me thank you so much Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much you guys I hope you have a wonderful weekend thank you oh. so much for letting me be a part of this
0: thank you for listening to living Two or more make sure to follow us on instagram at living Two or more if you have any comments or questions we would love to hear from you reach out to us at living to or more podcast at gmail.com. thanks